Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. It's great to see you this morning. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and we'll be looking together at uh, verses 12, 13, and 14. John chapter 14, verses 12, 13, and 14. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, Jesus says, I will do it. Now, Father, we come to you this morning as the God who speaks, and we're so grateful for your speaking to us in your Son and uh, through your Word. We acknowledge you that you're not only the God who speaks, but you're the God who hears, that you are the God who answers prayer, that you are the God whose eye is fixed on your children, who numbers the hairs on our heads, who knows our coming and our going, and stands ready always to hear us when we pray. We're grateful that you're the God who acts, who moves, who uh, acts in this world on behalf of your purpose, your glory, and your plan, as well as your people. And we're thankful, Father, that you are to your people, the great healer and the great savior. Now, as we gather around your word this morning, and as we hear this passage in particular, uh, our prayer is that your spirit would take your word and apply it to our hearts and apply it to our minds and that we would go from this place this morning changed, different from the people we were when we came in, changed by your word, changed by its truth, changed by your having spoken to us. We thank you that you hear our prayer and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, one of the biggest questions, one of the great questions uh, uh, in life is, is the question of why we are here and what we're supposed to be with our, in our lives and what we're supposed to do with our lives. In fact, I might put the question this way. We all have this question. What's the point of me? What's the point of me? What's the point? This is ultimately the question of meaning. It's often answered with a sense of mission. I'm called to do this. I'm called to be that way. The question is important because we all innately feel like there's got to be an answer. I'm here for a reason. I'm not just here for a season. I'm here for a reason. My life should matter. And so this question is a weighty question. What's the point of me? Now, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but this question comes early in a person's life. Before you've ever had much chance to think about the question, what's the point of me? People start asking you about, I don't know, four, five, what are you going to be when you grow up? What are you going to be? 
And of course, we all want, we all want to be famous. We want to be rich. Uh, we want to be stars. Or some of us want to be firemen. What do you want to be when you grow up? I remember when I was a little boy, after one of the services, most of you know my dad was a pastor and I'm a fourth generation pastor. So my, my, I was leaving a worship service and I'll never forget one little old lady caught me in a, in a hall that was really, really narrow. And she stopped me on my way out and she looked at me and then she reached over and pinched my cheek. I mean, little old ladies were really mean back then. They're sweet now, but... She pinched my cheek and it hurt. And she said, without letting go, she said, are you gonna be a preacher like your daddy? And I thought to myself, no way. Not if you preach, pinch my daddy's cheeks like you're pinching mine. I don't ever wanna be a preacher. Well, thankfully, little old ladies have gotten nicer over the years. They don't pinch anymore. What do you wanna be when you grow up? And of course, if you wait too long to grow up, you know what happens. The question comes, when are you gonna grow up? But the idea is to do something that matters with your life. The issue is, what is that something? What's the point of me? Now, you'll notice here, Jesus has announced in John 14, his impending departure. The disciples, verse one, are deeply troubled. He said to them in chapter 13, verse 33, he said, where I'm going, you cannot come. And because, as we saw last week, Jesus had ended their alienation and their isolation, because he had met that need for deep connection, uh, they didn't want to lose him. And he says to them in response, you won't, I'm going to my father's house one day, I'm going to return from you so that you can be where I am. But alienation and isolation were not the only problems Jesus solved for his disciples. Because here's the reality, if you think about it for a minute, he also solved their meaning and purpose problem. He said early in the ministry, he said, listen, listen, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will give you meaning. I will give you purpose for your life. You will become a people who makes an eternal difference in the lives of others. Jesus, it turned out, as they discovered pretty quickly, was the Lamb of God who came to take away what? The sins of the world. And, and, and Jesus had this extraordinary way of, of living out his mission, but also calling others to join him in, in that. And in joining Jesus, traveling from town to town, seeing him work, do miracles, preach the gospel, they found their meaning. They found their purpose. And now, so you see, now he says, I'm leaving you. And it's like, not only have I lost my source of connection and intimacy and relationship that, that, that ended my alienation, now I'm losing my purpose. And I'm coming back again to this question, what's the point of me? I thought I found the point of me when I found Jesus. Now he's leaving, I've lost my point. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm doing. At one point, Peter goes, I'm just going fishing. I don't know what else to do. I'm just going fishing. So in our brief passage, we actually find two surprises. The first surprise comes as Jesus shows the disciples what his departure means for their future. Do you see it in verse 12? I love this. His departure 
means for their future greater things, greater things than he has done. They're going to do what he's been doing and they're going to do greater things. This is shocking. How in the world would believers do greater things than Jesus? The issue of greater things actually can be understood this way. And we'll look at this, but briefly, in the same way that the Father works through the Son, look at verse 10, as I'm doing the works of my Father. In the same way the Father works through the Son to love the world by giving it a second chance at life through redemption, Jesus shows that he's going to work through his disciples. And the results will be that whoever, verse 12, believes in me will also do the works I do. And in fact, greater works than these will he do, all because I'm going to the Father. So the meaning and mission of their lives isn't going to be lost like they think it's going to be lost, but actually enhanced. You are going to have a different and better and more meaningful future because I'm no longer physically with you. It's going to be better because I'm leaving. You're going to carry on with my ministry of displaying and proclaiming the gospel. The scope of your ministry post-resurrection is going to be greater than my ministry before it. What, what I will do through you will be greater in reach than what I did in front of you in the flesh. By those who believe his gospel will go to the nations and spread to the entire world. Barry, every time you go to Myanmar, every time you go to Myanmar, you're experiencing a greater thing. You're experiencing part of the greater things. This little band of, of 12 men minus the traitor, this little band is going to literally change the world. They're going to do greater things. What Jesus is doing is he's promising these ordinary men an extraordinary life. And that's why we say at, at Center Grove, our vision is to see ordinary people and families find extraordinary life in Jesus together. How? By living their lives with him on mission. In other words, we were made, meant, and sent to be bright lights for Christ in dark places without him. So this extraordinary life of greater things will become possible, not because he's physically with them, but because Jesus has gone from them back to his father. But now, okay, how does that work? How does that work? How do I wind up doing greater things because Jesus has gone back to his father? Jesus gives two answers. He says that that kind of extraordinary life is possible because of a power that will come with prayer and help that will come from the Holy Spirit. Power that will come with prayer and help that will come from the Holy Spirit. And as you look, if you look forward, going past and deeper into John 14, he's talking about the Spirit. He's going to talk about the Spirit some more in John 16, but he starts with prayer. Two things are going to happen. This is the way, this is the way that my being absent from you is going to empower you. There will be a power that will come with your praying and there will come a help that will come with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And today we want to look at verses 13 and 40, 14 and Jesus' brief mention of prayer. His leaving, Jesus says, will open the way to powerful praying. In verses 13 and 14, we have a kind of a, a compressed statement of essential truths that you, we all need to understand how prayer 
post-resurrection works to support an extraordinary life, a life that is lived literally on mission. Remember, we said last week, if you're a plumber, you're a plumber, uh, and behind your plumbing is Jesus. If you're a banker, we said last week, behind your banking is Jesus. If you're a mother, behind your mothering is Jesus. If you're a father, behind your fathering is Jesus. Behind everything a follower of Jesus does is Jesus. That's exactly right. You get an A plus for today. Jesus. Now, I want you to see this. Here is how prayer works. This prayer that, that supports, that undergirds the extraordinary life that God gives to those who believe. Now, I want you to see with me quickly three things. I want you to see the great power of prayer. I want you to see the ultimate purpose behind prayer. And then I want you to see the one protection for prayer. The power of prayer, the ultimate purpose behind prayer, and the one protection for prayer. First, let's look together at uh, the great power of prayer. Look at the opening of verse 13. Jesus says believers will be able to do what he did in ways greater than ever before because I'm going to the Father. And then he says, whatever you ask, I will do. I don't know if you've ever noticed that's, a, that's a kind of an odd, odd transition between verse 12 and verse 13. It's a really odd transition. Suddenly, he's talking about prayer. He said, you're going to do the things I've done. You will do them even greater. And then suddenly he says, whatever you ask in prayer, I'll do well, he does that for a reason. Here, here it is. Once Jesus completes his work as substitute and savior of sinners through his cross and his resurrection, his father, the New Testament tells us, gives him a new position and a role at his ascension. Matthew, in Matthew and Luke, Jesus tells us that after he ascends to heaven, he will be seated at the right hand of power. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that the Father raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, this is important, gave him as head over all things to the church. What Jesus is saying is that as the one who ascends to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling over all to accomplish the mission of the Father in the world, he will, as that ruler, as that one with all power, as that one who has a name above every name, he will answer the prayers of his people who are carrying on, who are doing what he did. The promise is that, verse 13, whatever they ask in my name, this I will do. And this is the first reason why they will do greater things than they could have done on their own. The prayers of believers are one of the most critical ways in which God's power is released into the world. It is one of the most critical ways in which God's purposes are accomplished in this world. Every time you've ever seen the church of Jesus Christ advance, Every single time, it has been because of prayer. It has been because of the prayer of God's people. Wherever you've seen the church of Jesus Christ stumble or not live up to its calling, it has always been because of a lack of prayer. It has always been because of a lack of prayer. Wherever my life has not lived up to its calling, 
And there have been more, more of those times than I care to admit. It has been because of a lack of prayer. You see, I think Jesus' point here is prayer is where the extraordinary life begins. Prayer is where the extraordinary life begins. There's more of that coming, sweetie. Just sounds like life to me. Hey, I'm glad for every little voice in this building. Every little cry, every little squeal. I'm glad for every single one of them in this building and in the building next door that my, my granddaughter calls her church. She said, I come over to see you at your church, but I'm going back over to my church. Okay. Okay. So prayer is where the extraordinary life begins because prayer has power. Prayer changes things for people and prayer changes people for things. Now we know this, right? The problem is for so many of us, it doesn't work. We read this verse. We've asked for things. We haven't gotten them. And you know what I think we do? Because we don't want to call Jesus a liar or whatever. We, we just work harder. I'm going to live an extraordinary life. So help me God. You know, I'm, I'm going to do it. So I work harder. I pray less because I, I just don't see answers. I pray and I pray and I pray and I don't see answers. I beg and I beg and I beg and I don't see answers. And so this is a problem. This is an incredible promise. And so we wind up feeling tremendous guilt often and we try to work harder for Jesus instead of praying to Jesus. And sadly, we live ordinary lives and God has an extraordinary life for us. But why? What, what, why doesn't it work? Well, look, look at verse 13, the, the part B. Look at the uh, ultimate purpose behind prayer. Uh, Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that or so that the Father may be glorified in the, in the Son. The purpose behind any prayer, Jesus is saying, the purpose behind prayer is what determines its power. The purpose behind prayer is what determines its power. Jesus says he will answer believers' prayers only when the answer brings his Father glory because he's all about bringing his Father glory. So, so watch, watch, watch. Do you see this? If I'm going to answer your prayer, then it will have to be in alignment with whatever brings my Father glory. If you're asking for something that doesn't bring him glory, I'm not, I'm not all about that, so I'm not gonna do that. Now, it, Please, 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 let's just pause real quick. Let me just throw this in. I've got to keep moving. But please, please don't hear me say that the only things you can pray for are evangelism or the church or whatever. You, everything is open for prayer. 
Your marriage is open for prayer. Your kids are open for prayer. Your job is open for prayer. Your loss of a job is open for prayer. The, the, the point, God cares about those things. He cares about you. He cares about your health. And one lady asked me to pray for her because she's facing some, some, some physical challenges. I prayed immediately for her. God is open to hear our prayers on every subject. But what Jesus is saying is when you pray, for whatever it is you're praying, you must always, if your prayer is going to have power, you must always seek my glory in it. Now we'll talk a little more about what that means, but I, I needed to say that lest you think, well, the only time I can pray is, you know, I'm praying, uh, Lord, for, for my pastor, or I'm praying for our church, or I'm praying for the missionaries, or I'm praying for, for whomever, my, te- my kid's teacher in the kid's building, or whatever, whatever, whatever. I want you to see in verses 13 and then again in verse 14, uh, Jesus is saying he's going to give believers things so that the Father might be glorified. What God wants most and what we should pray for is his glory. And this is the only good overarching purpose behind prayer. Powerless praying has always has another purpose. Do you remember what James says in James 4, 3? He says, you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He's saying your purpose is off. When you pray and pray and pray and pray, your purpose is very often off. You don't see the power of God, your, 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 your motive, your purpose is very often off. Praying lacks power with God when prayer is driven by the passions of the prayer and not the passions of the one prayed to. So a little secret for you when it comes to prayer is before you start asking for things, ask God what he wants around those things. Okay, your marriage is in trouble. Ask God first. Don't tell him what you want for your marriage. Ask God first, what does he want for your marriage? I mean, if you just want to step back just for a quick second, and, and I've got to quit doing this or I'm going to go over time, and we don't want that, do we? No, I know, I know. But just step back for a minute. Just step back for a minute. Just step back for a minute with me and, and, and ask yourself, what do you want for your marriage? Do you want what God wants or do you want what you want, really, at the end of the day? What do you want? What do you really want? Who knows best what your marriage should look like? Point made. Um, Powerless prayer prays for the wrong purpose of getting what we want, but powerful prayer prays for the right purpose of seeing that God gets what he wants. But oh, how easily we miss this. The purpose of prayer is not to get whatever we ask from God. (laughs) And I've used this illustration for years, but I've said to you and I've taught you, you know, God is not a divine vending machine. You stick in the right stuff, you get out the right stuff. He's not a vending machine. And sometimes I think with prayer, we treat him like that. If I'll just do it a certain way and just pray long enough, hard enough, deep enough, repeat it enough times, then suddenly out, out will come the gift that I'm seeking. No, no, no. The, the purpose of prayer is not to get whatever we ask from God. What God wants is his glory. Now, this raises three questions for us. What is glory and why is God so concerned with it and why is it so necessary for prayer? Glory is a great church word, Uh, but what is it? Why is it so important? It almost sounds like God's got an ego problem. 
I want you to give me glory. Well, not, no. Let's talk about that for a minute, shall we? All right, first, what, what is his glory? What does it mean to glorify him? Glory in the New Testament, that word has to do with weight, weightiness, heaviness, uh, value. To glorify something means to make it weighty in your life, to make it valuable in your life. Uh, to glorify something means to make it the center of your life. It's so important, so weighty, uh, so, so uh, loved by you that it's right there at the center. It means to consider that thing, the heaviest, most important thing in your life, the thing around which or toward which everything else is made to move. To glorify something is to center on it and to declare it central. So, so Jesus' point is to make his father central. Now, why is God so concerned with his glory? I love this. The best answer to that question is, not that he needs it from us. The best answer is that the world and everyone in it needs God's glory. It's the first thing we all need. Why? Well, think of it this way, and this is a great illustration. Think of it this way. How many of you have got washing machines at home? Okay. Some of you don't. I'm, I feel so sorry for you. All right. How many of you have had the experience of overloading your, your washing machine? Okay, let me ask you this. It doesn't have to be high tech or low tech. Does your washing machine talk to you when you overload it? How many of you say, yes, it talks to me? And it does not use good language, does it? You think somebody is tearing your house, and boom, 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 right? Right, it's awful, it's awful. So what do you have to do? You have to run wherever your washing machine is. Our house, we run upstairs, you may run downstairs. Some of you don't run anywhere because yours doesn't, you don't have one. But if you do have one, this only applies to you. You run up there and what do you do? You open up the lid, right? And you look into the drum and you got to rearrange the stuff that's in there, right? You got to rearrange all that stuff that's in there. And if you get it rearranged right, then you can shut the lid, start it back, and it works great, doesn't it? We need God's glory. We need God's glory because God is the intended center of all our lives. And if anything in our lives becomes the center, if we move uh, our lives and the elements of our lives toward anything else, then our lives become off-centered, decentered, and just as in the case of a washing machine, there is destruction and can be uh, a little bit of pain. There's always destruction and always pain when we take and we build our lives around money, Bitterness, anger, grudge holding, pleasure. If we try to build our lives around anything, the washer of our lives, our hearts, gets off kilter. There are a lot of people who will profess that God is their center. 
And yet they constantly experience destruction and pain and they can't figure out why. And the answer is really quite easy. They, they just have not gone to their hearts, lifted up the lid and looked inside to see if everything in their lives was truly, genuinely arranged around God in Christ. See, God wants his glory so that our lives might be in balance. We were made for him. He was not made for us. Whenever your life is going boom, 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 you can be absolutely sure that your washing machine is out of balance. God wants us to give him glory because giving him glory is what does us ultimate good. That's why he's so concerned with it. Finally, why, why is glory seeking so necessary to prayer? Well, there are three quick reasons. Prayer done seeking his glory has the power to correct us when we've put something other than God at the center of our lives. Uh, I've experienced this personally time and time again. When I, when, I, when, I, when I go in prayer and I begin to pray for the sake of his glory, and, I, and I'm saying, you know, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in this person's life, in that person's life, in my life, in this situation, in that situation. I want you to be glorified. Almost immediately, when I start prayer that way, it forces me. It's almost like the Spirit of God says, check under the, check, check under the lid, check the drum, something's off. And, and you know how I know that, that something's off is I don't really want to pray for God's glory when my life is out of balance. Does, does anybody else have that same experience? You get start praying and I, I know I'm supposed to be praying for God's glory, but I really want you to let them have it, Lord. I'm, they hurt me. They really hurt me. And you look for those Psalms, you know, where it's crush their teeth and break their bones. And you, you ought to see it's biblical, God. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. And, we, you know, we just haven't read the whole psalm. We haven't really understood it. We're picking and choosing. But that's how you know. That's how you know. You're not praying for his glory is, is because you're, you're, you're not comfortable doing that. You don't want to do that. You want to do, you want to pray for something else. You want to pray for what you want rather than what he wants. Prayer done, seeking his glory, corrects us. Secondly, prayer that seeks his glory, it actually, as we pray, keeps us centered on God. The more we're praying and measuring things by what will bring him glory, what will exalt him, what will honor what he wants, what will point to his majesty, his beauty, and his worth uh, in my marriage, in my brokenness, in my situation, my job loss, my lack of health, what will bring you glory? I, I find myself more and more centered on God. Thirdly, prayer that seeks his glory fuels or empowers us as we carry out his mission. It enables the greater things. And this is why I say the extraordinary life begins with prayer. Without an aim for God's glory, prayer will have no power from God. 
So if we're going to, to live extraordinary lives, if we're going to live on mission, we must pray and see our prayers answered with power. And to have the power we need to live and work faithfully here, we must pray aiming at the Father's glory. His glory comes first before we ask for anything or seek to attempt anything. Prayer precedes even our actions. And so with every problem and every opportunity that comes our way, we must not only pray, but we must pray seeking whatever will bring the Father glory in it. We should never begin prayer by asking God to fix this or give that. The power of prayer comes when the purpose of prayer and everything else in life is made to center on the glory of God. So prayer that seeks his glory begins with a focus on the greatness of who God is and what he has done for us and what he's done for others. And as you begin to pray that way, you begin, and this is the, the miracle of it, you begin to feel the weightiness of his glory and you begin to look and see people and situations and circumstances differently. It's one thing to look at a tragedy, a hardship, from simply my human perspective and my desire to fix it and not being able to fix it. You ever been there? You done that? Yeah. It's one thing to look at it from that standpoint, but when you, before you begin to, to pray over that problem or that hurt or that need, when you're able to actually rise up and, and begin to see the greatness and the goodness of our God and begin to reflect on his promises and his ability to keep those promises, when you get up there, your problems start looking very different. We begin to say about even our problems, is there anything God cannot do? If he's promised his good for me, will I trust him? And once I've said I will trust him, then suddenly I've released the answer to that problem to him rather than having to struggle and strive to find that answer for myself. There is this incredible freedom that comes with that. When we fix our minds and hearts on his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his power, as it comes to whatever we bring to him, when we do every hurt, every problem, every disappointment, every obstacle we face just seems to fall into place around him. And we begin to see everything differently. When even problems and fears and anxieties get decentered and God is recentered and given glory. And it's then that His mission is advanced in our lives and the lives of others. People are helped, the gospel is shared, people are saved, marriages are healed. God begins to work in ways we can see in the lives of our children. It's when prayer begins with a focus on God's glory that all things come to have their proper place. And then and only then will we know that it is true that whatever we ask in his name, he does so that the Father is glorified in the Son. Finally, I want you to see with me the protection of prayer in verse 14. Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And the key phrase there is in my name. Now, we've seen that purposeful prayer, prayer aiming at the glory of God, is powerful. It does change us for things and things for us. But we mustn't miss the fact that such prayer also comes with a guard and a guide. Jesus says that all we ask for must be requested in his name. 
Praying in Jesus' name protects the prayer from the prayer from uh, the prayer from becoming a powerless prayer. Now, what does that mean and involve? Now, a lot of us were taught to pray in Jesus' name, and I I I pray in Jesus' name. But what I want to say to you quickly is this, that it is not to use his name as a kind of talisman. If I just say this in Jesus' name, suddenly it works. That's not the point. The whole point of praying and then praying and closing everything in Jesus' name is to acknowledge two realities. And it is to simply say, I understand as I ask this prayer that these two realities are at work and are functioning. As I pray, what, what are those realities? Well, to ask for something in Jesus' name is first to ask the Father essentially to grant something because of Jesus and through Jesus. The risen Christ intercedes for his people with his Father, pleading their case, Hebrews says, not because of who they are, not because of what they've done, but because of who he is and what he's done. Every request made in Jesus' name, consciously made in Jesus' name, actually comes with an acknowledgement that because of his cross death in our place, because of his resurrection, we have become his, he has become ours, and his father is now our father. So when we pray in Jesus' name, we acknowledge he's the only reason we can come to the father to ask anything in the first place. Our only uh, place in Jesus, only our place in Jesus commends us to him and makes us worthy to say, Father, please. We can't go to him in any other name. I can't go to him in my name, your name. I can only go to him in Jesus' name. That's where the answers are found. Why? Because he's the only one who deserves an answer. He's the righteous one whose death made us right. So praying mindfully in Jesus' name keeps us praying humbly and not presumptuously and helps us pray prayers that bring power. It's a way it guards us, it guides us, and keeps us focused on the one who really matters and keeps us humble. Saying, Lord, if I were just coming by myself, I would not deserve this. But I'm coming in Jesus' name. Because I'm his now, and he's mine, and now you're my father. Does that make sense to you? I can't go charging in and say, oh, Steve Court's here. Ten things I want you to do today. I can't do that. I have to go humbly and say, Lord, I'm coming in the name of Jesus. Second thing, second reality, and... Then we close. Praying mindfully in Jesus' name is, is what ultimately and finally creates the opportunity for power because to pray in Jesus' name is to pray literally in alignment with his character and his purpose of fulfilling the Father's plan. To pray in Jesus' name is to say, I am praying for this, I'm asking for this with regard to my job, my friend, uh, this, this illness, whatever it is I'm praying for, I'm praying for this, and my heart is that this prayer be in alignment with who Jesus is and what he's about in this world. So I have seen people with stage four cancer who don't have long to live, who got this, praying that they would die in such a way, if God did not heal them, that they would die in such a way that they had brought him glory. That they would die in such a way that they would point others to Christ and, and that they would be saved. 
That is exactly what it means to pray in Jesus' name. That God would take whatever it is we're facing, whatever challenge it is we're experiencing, and that he would use it. The, the son is going to point to the father. The father's going to point to the son. But that men and women by this struggle, and that I would come to know him better and love him more. Very, very often when I'm with someone in a hospital and they're dying or, or they've gotten bad news, I, I will say, I will pray. I, I, I'm very careful about this, but I will pray, oh Lord, would you use this? if they're open to it. And I have to, have to kind of weigh it. Because some people spiritually are not at a point where they can do that. And, and that's a shame because that's where the power is. But I will say, Lord, would you, would you help them through this to know you better and love you more? You got a friend going through a hard time? Pray that for them. That brings God glory. Oh, Lord, would you use this in their lives to help them know you better and love you more? There's power in that prayer, real power in that prayer. So praying mindfully in Jesus' name not only keeps us praying humbly and not presumptuously, but it keeps us praying in alignment with his character and his purpose. And that's what guards us against praying selfish prayers that upend prayer's power. So practically, when we come to Jesus in his name, we're asking for things from him for others and ourselves saying, here's the good you say we need. Give us that which is good. Do this for us. I know you heal, so I'm asking for healing. I know sometimes you don't heal. But I'm asking that even if you don't, would you bring yourself glory by this lack of healing? Would you bring us this help, this wisdom, this guidance, whatever? The good we ask for specifically may not be God's best, and that's why the Father often answers our prayers with power in ways that are different from what we requested or what we expected. But in prayer, you, you simply have to pray to the best of your ability for the glory of God in the best ways possible, and then leave it there with him and say, I trust you. I know you know better than I. So if my prayer is just off a little bit, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit's going to adjust it, deliver it to the Son who's going to present it to the Father. And if I'm genuinely seeking His glory, power is going to come. I'm just not going to dictate to you how the power has to come. I'm going to trust you. Because I know at the end of the day, you want, you love me. You love this person I'm praying for. And you are going to work for our good. And as you live that way, and as you live on mission with Christ, you, you find you're living an extraordinary life. And that that life is not limited to just these great saints this, this life is, is open to every saint. So if you would live an extraordinary life, if you would step out of the ordinary into the extraordinary, this is where you start. Pray. Start focusing on the glory of God. Stay there until you can see him in his majesty, beauty, and worth. Let everything else around you take its proper place. 
pray rightly and then you will pray in ways that invite the power of God to come and make your ordinary life extraordinary. And you will become a doer of Jesus' things. Is there anything better to be said? She was a doer of Jesus' things. She did them in great ways. He was a doer of Jesus' things. He did them in great ways. And as you do, you will find him doing through you, as Ephesians 3 says, far more abundantly than all you might ask or think according to his power at work in you. Ask me anything. And I will do it. So with heads bowed and eyes closed all across the room. I want to ask you. Where do you need to see God? Step in and work. Where do you need to see God? Move with power. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can go to him in Jesus' name. I invite you to do that, but here, I want to ask you, I want to ask you, as you do that, to the very best of your ability from what you know of Jesus, from what you know of his purpose and his plan, what, what do you believe Jesus would say is good and right and true in that thing that you're facing? With humility, acknowledging that maybe you could be off in the specific things you're asking for, maybe, maybe, maybe. It will be an encouragement to you to know that even though your asking may be off, you may not fully understand what is good, right, and true in that situation. The fact that you want it, the fact that your heart is for what he says is good, right, and true will still open the windows of heaven and allow his power to begin to flow. So what is that challenge you face? Where do you need to see God? Where do you need to cry out to him? In Jesus' name and say, you are great, you are good. You are majestic, powerful, excellent. You rule over all things. And here is something I need to give to you and I need to say to you, help. Help. Help my marriage, help my family. My children. Grant help in this situation. Help this lost co-worker. This broken life I see every day. Oh God, would you intervene? 
with heads bowed and eyes closed. How many of you say, I've got, I've got something like that in my life. I need to see the power of God at work. Just raise your hand. I've got that. I've got that. Yes. Yes. Not at all surprised. I've got that. Right where you are. Right here. Right now. Before the God who is great and good. The all powerful. Look at that problem through the lens of who he is and what he can do. Find the good that you know Christ desires. Begin to ask for that right here, right now. God of mercy, God of grace, how we thank you for this promise of Jesus. Whatever we ask, you will do. We ask in his name. Oh, Father, without being presumptuous, we come into your presence. We acknowledge we're only here because Jesus made the way come into your presence and we say what Jesus said before the cross, not my will but yours be done. Give me, give us, give them, give him, give her what you say is best and here's what I see and understand is best. This is what I'm asking for. Do it, Father, do it. Lord, I'm praying for those who raise their hands. I'm praying for those who even in this room right now are weeping because their hearts are so heavy. I pray for them, Lord God, that they would begin to pray and without uh, ending, that they, without relenting, that they would continue to seek you, to seek your glory in that situation, in the life of that person. And God, I'm asking that you would grant them the, the chance to see your power work even if it's in ways they didn't expect or imagine may our lives Lord God be lived with such a practice of prayer make us extraordinary because we follow the extraordinary Jesus. Pray and ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. Let's stand together all across the room. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.